0: Hey, hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to this podcast, and I would like to uh, give a warm welcome to Barry Olson. Hello, Barry. How are you?
1: I'm doing very well, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, thank you very much for taking the time uh, for this uh, conversation. Maybe just to give a little bit of of an introduction. Uh, Barry and I have known each other for a couple of years now, Uh, We first got to know each other on Twitter, I believe, or somewhere on on the Internet. Uh, And the first time we met in real life was at a conference in Brussels two years ago, I believe. And then again at the uh, FIT World Congress last year. And uh, we're mainly in contact um, online. And this is the first time we'll we'll have a sort of uh, podcast conversation. So uh, once again, very welcome. You are an interpreter, an interpreter trainer. A technology enthusiast. Have I missed anything? Um, I'm
1: sure there are more things that could easily be added. I am very much a technology enthusiast. You might say a bit of a of a computer nerd or a technology geek, and um, a bit of an entrepreneur as well.
0: That's right. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we are having this conversation right now on ZipDX, which is a technology that you've been involved in. Can you tell us more about ZipDX? Be happy to.
1: Uh, ZipDX is a um, telecommunications company that focuses on audio conferencing. Uh, it was started in 2007. I've been working with ZipDX since about 2012 when we introduced a remote simultaneous interpretation function on the ZipDX platform. And it made it possible to have simultaneously interpreted conference calls for people who spoke uh, different languages. And so um, it's a great company, one that is uh, constantly looking for ways to improve the technology and the platform that we have created to be able to provide remote simultaneous interpretation and take it into cyberspace, if you will, and uh, we've been going strong with our uh, ZipDX multilingual solution since 2012 and have just been working to pick up more and more clients all over the world and refine our virtual interpreter console called Zipline and making it easier and easier for people to engage in multilingual conversations and meetings um, over the phone or over the Internet. So I, kind of, I don't want to turn this into a big sales presentation by any means, but it's uh, just a wonderful platform that makes it possible for simultaneous interpreters to provide their services in a whole new way. So it's, it's really exciting. I've had a lot of fun um, working and building the solution and then continuing to tweak it because it's now all cloud-based. Um, There's no specific software that you have to download or any hardware other than just a regular good-quality USB headset and a computer, Mac or PC, with a broadband Internet connection, Uh, wired broadband, I should say. Wireless still isn't quite there in terms of its dependability, but that's our solution.
0: Yes, it sounds very interesting, very exciting indeed. Uh, before we talk m- more about interpreting technology, let me just take one step back, maybe, and and ask you how you actually became an interpreter.
1: Well, um, I've been working as an interpreter since I was 19 years old. Um, I fell into the profession or came into it sideways, as uh, we sometimes say here in the United States. That. You know, it wasn't anything I'd ever expected I would do or anything I really knew about. But um, I served a two-year mission for my church um, back when I was 19, from age 19 to age 21. And I served in Southern California. And as many people know, we have a lot of people who speak Spanish in California and I was working in Spanish-speaking congregations, um, and on one occasion, we arrived at a Sunday meeting where we were going to have several congregations uh, meeting, and the bishop of the Spanish-speaking congregation saw me as I came through the door. He grabbed me. He took me into a room, sat me down in front of a, a television monitor with a microphone and headphones, and he said, whatever you hear them say in English, you say it in Spanish. And that was my introduction to interpreting, and I fell in love with it from the very first time, and it was something that I volunteered for throughout my mission, and I actually was able to uh, put myself through college working as an interpreter and other odd jobs as well and when I found out that I could get a master's degree and become a conference interpreter working at the international level, I immediately knew what I wanted to do.
0: That's a, that's a, a great story. Um, interesting to note also that you basically did remote when you interpreted for the first time. Is that right?
1: You, you know, from the television
0: really, or the TV monitor.
1: That that's that's entirely correct. And you know, the funny thing is, I've never thought of it that way. Um, But you're right, it was remote interpreting because the uh, main hall uh, where the um, congregants and the members of the different churches were assembled uh, was Mm -hmm. separate, and I was in a small room where they had closed-circuit television and audio. So, indeed, my very first assignment was a remote assignment.
0: (laughs) That's 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 interesting yeah. Uh, interesting phrase also that you said you fell into into the profession because I think that that happens to to many of us. So you you went to college did you study languages or
1: uh...
0: I did. I actually
1: studied um Spanish translation and then I minored in Russian as well. Um during my time as a missionary for my church I also learned Portuguese. Uh, just mm-hmm. because there were many people who spoke Portuguese in in areas where I served, and I wanted to be able to speak with them as well, and so, oddly enough, those languages became my working languages. You know, English being my my A language, Spanish my B language, and then Russian and Portuguese C languages.
0: So you did spend some time abroad as well during that. Oh mission. yes.
1: Um, Not during my mission, actually. My time abroad came before that and then after. Um, I have lived extensively in Mexico, uh, lived in Central America as well, but in Central America as an interpreter. I was then working as a conference interpreter for trade negotiations.
0: Yeah. And, and you did spend some time in Russia as well, I think. In
1: Russia, yes. I was going to yeah. mention that uh shortly well before I graduated, I actually spent some time over there working for a non-governmental organization that taught English in schools. And I was there to actually take care of much of the logistics, making sure the teachers had places to live. So it was an mm-hmm. excellent preparation for someone who wanted to work with Russian as an interpreter because I had to interact with, with uh, Russians on a daily basis. I had to learn the bureaucracy. I had to take care of travel arrangements, all sorts of yeah. things. Uh, so it helped immensely. And my, my dear wife, bless her heart, um, <laughs> two weeks after we got married – Um, I put her on a plane with me, and we moved to Russia. Um, So we spent the first year of our marriage in Moscow and traveling out to the Urals, to St. Petersburg, down to the Black Sea, um, all in association with my work. And she was a real trooper, learned some Russian herself, and we (laughs) have a very special place in our heart for the Russian people. They're wonderful people.
0: Yeah, and and this was uh, before the political transformation, I would assume.
1: It was during, actually. During. Okay. Um, I was there during uh, in 1993 for the first time, and that was during uh, President Yeltsin's uh, time in office, and when there was a coup attempt. And then yeah. I went back, finished university, and moved back with my wife, and we were there from in '95 and '96.
0: Very interesting. Um, uh-huh. Do you still remember your first? proper assignment after graduation as, a, as an actual interpreter, if you will? Um,
1: I guess I would say that there were many, many assignments. Um, <laughs> thinking of the, the first assignment after graduating with my, my master's degree in conference interpretation, um, that one actually was, was quite odd in that I was in Philadelphia, and one of the things I did have to interpret uh, was a... Um, demonstration at a police firing range. <laughs> so Ooh. it was rather noisy <laughs> and I had to speak into a a, a um, PA system up on a tower. It was rather odd, but I think you know my one assignment that really helps cement, that you know, it was time for me to work, and uh, I had learned how to work as a as a professional interpreter, and that's what people mm-hmm. were expecting from me. Um, was when I was in the Dominican Republic uh, working, and it was this crazy assignment in that um, I flew out of Miami for the Dominican Republic, but my suitcase went to Cartagena, Colombia. And Ooh. so I arrived on site. I had no clothes other than those on my back. And the morning I came down, the itinerary had completely changed. I was accompanying a U.S. government official, um, high mm-hmm. level. And I looked at my schedule, and it said we were going to be leaving for the presidential palace in 30 minutes. And I looked at uh, my my point of contact, and I said, I'm sorry, this is all I have. I didn't even have a tie or a shirt that would... would Look good with a tie. I did have a jacket and whatnot. And they found Mm -hmm. someone else from the team that was basically my size and said, Get him a tie and a shirt. I put that on and we were off and running. And so we had a visit there with the president of the Dominican Republic at that time. And then we were shuttled off to another building and I Mm -hmm. didn't know what was going on. The doors opened and there was the press corps from all over the Dominican Republic and there was going to be a press conference. And I realized at that moment, it was as crystal clear in my mind as, as anything had ever been. It was now is the time for you to perform because Mm -hmm. you either sink or swim. And so I said, I have a job to do. I know that my my principal is depending on me because he does not speak Spanish, does not mm-hmm. understand, and he has a job to do. And when I understood that my job was key to making sure that he could do his job, something clicked and the nerves and all the worry that I know that I felt as a student and even mm-hmm. as a as a newly minted interpreter, it just fell away. And I just went to work and I've remembered that feeling from that time forward. And it's one that helps me whenever I find myself in those positions where you can have the jitters a little bit because it's Mm -hmm. a high stakes encounter or it's something that's being televised or whatever. So there you go.
0: This is such a great story. I mean, there's so much in it. First of all, this this stuff that interpreter nightmares are made of losing your luggage and then only having, you know, maybe not not exactly T-shirts, but uh, being close to it. Yeah. But but I feel exactly the same, actually, especially with high stakes interpreting that uh, I, I do tend to get a bit nervous, especially in the minutes before everything starts. But then, you know, um, once you get ready, actually, all that disappears and that nervousness um, turns into the energy that you can then use and leverage for for really doing your job very well I think that's that happens again and again and again, even after years of doing this and i i really uh, I actually enjoy it it's it's fun
1: it is it provides you with that that heightened sense of focus to be able to Absolutely. really do your job in an amazing way, and you you lose that sense of time where maybe you've been working for forty five minutes. You know, consecutively, or if you're in the booth, you know, you do your mm-hmm. first 30-minute stint, and you feel like you've only been working for five minutes.
0: Yeah, yeah that's that's exactly how it feels. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's let's move on to to another topic that brings us a bit closer back to technology. Um, I wanted to talk about Interpret America. Can you tell us about what Interpret America is? I'd be happy
1: to. Uh, Interpret America is an endeavor that. Um, I launched together with uh, a colleague of mine, Catherine Allen, who is a medical and community interpreter, but she also got her master's degree from the Monterey Institute of International Studies, where I also got my MA in conference interpreting. And uh, I should mention and open a quick parenthesis here that the Monterey Institute as of January of this year actually is now the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey. Mm -hmm. We are still the same graduate school. We still have the same programs. We are now just part of Middlebury College and the larger Middlebury uh, family of higher education. So, um, we still have the same acronym. Sorry,
0: Middlebury College is actually on the East Coast, is that right?
1: That is correct. It's in the state of Vermont in New England. Um, actually not too far from the Canadian border. And Mm -hmm. uh, it is a well-recognized and one of the top liberal arts colleges in the United States. And it is known first and foremost for its teaching of language and the importance that it gives to teaching languages and having the students be people that are well-versed not only in the humanities but also in what's going on in the world and being conversant in other languages. And so this merger of the Monterey Institute with Middlebury College was something that just made a great deal of sense, particularly in the the you know, new environment for higher education where you have so many students traveling to other countries to earn their degrees. Mm-hmm. But yeah. anyway, that's the parenthesis, so if I can get back to Interpret America, we'll pull back from that tangent. Um, Catherine Allen and I, in 2009, uh, incorporated Interpret America with the, the mission of raising the profile of interpreting, uh, mainly in the United States. Um, interpreting is uh, still very young, you know, even more so than in Europe. Um, it has been around since, you know, the mid 20th century as a modern profession, if you will, and even before then. Mm-hmm. But in the United States, of course, you have this um, erroneous uh, conce- conception that, well, everybody speaks English, so why bother? That is clearly no longer the case, and there is a definite need for interpreters in so many different areas. Um, and in public services, in the court system, in our um, our healthcare system, in business, and of course at the UN and in international relations, but um, interpreting had grown very organically in the United States. It had mm-hmm. been a, a profession that emerged in healthcare because there was a need in healthcare, and so the interpreters that worked in healthcare really saw healthcare interpreting as interpreting and those working in the court system and the legal system saw court interpreting or legal interpreting or judiciary interpreting as it's sometimes called as interpreting and of course conference mm-hmm. interpreters were very happily working in New York and in Washington DC and you know in the private sector at high level events and such and for them that kind of interpreting was interpreting and then you had the very well-defined and developed market for providing interpreting for the deaf and hard of hearing in the United States. Mm -hmm. And that had developed organically with its own legislation at the federal level, with its own certifications, and none of these different interpreting worlds really talk to each other and in some cases didn't really even know that the others existed. And so our first goal was to organize the Interpret America conferences. We called the first one the first North American Summit on Interpreting. And we brought together many of the leaders from these different areas of interpreting, our specialties as we tend to call them today. And mm-hmm. it was amazing to see leadership from different professional associations walk up and introduce themselves as if, uh, dropping the name of that association would immediately uh, receive recognition. And many of these came up to each other and said, what's what's the name of, I've never heard of you before. What do you do? Yeah. And mm-hmm, yeah. that mutual lack of, of knowledge about the other segments or sectors of the market um, started to fall away with these meetings. And I'm, you know, very happy to say that the dialogue that began at that first Interpret America Summit in 2010 uh, has continued today outside of Interpret America, where you actually have the professional associations uh, meeting on a, a monthly basis by conference call to basically let people know what they're up to, what they're doing, and to have a bit of coordination. And so that's that's very gratifying gratifying to know that's happened. The second thing about is America, that's exactly America, what you
0: want, right? I mean, because yes. interpretive America is not a professional association in and of itself. It's rather you're trying to get them together on a continuous basis, which is great.
1: Exactly. I mean, it was it's it's an organization, not even an organization. It's an entity that we created so that we could organize these conferences and so that we had some kind of legal. Um, Legal personality, I guess, is the way we would say it. And um, we've now had five Interpret America summits. We've also started to reach out to the um, industry associations. Uh, we've been involved in a uh, collaboration with the Globalization and Localization Association, GALA, which is the mm-hmm. largest um, language uh language industry association in the world. And they have a yearly conference and we talked to them a few years back and said, you know what, you're not focusing on interpreting. It's a growing market and it is one of interest to your members. So why don't we start a dialogue? And that's how we came up with the idea of Think Interpreting, which Mm -hmm. is kind of a conference within a conference at GALA and it's where we bring together those uh, attendees that are interested in interpreting. These are mainly companies, mainly um, interpreting agencies or larger language service companies that are providing significant amounts of interpretation of all different kinds. I mean, in the last two years that we've done this, we started in Istanbul and this year we were in Seville, Spain, for the Gala Conference, and there is a tremendous amount of interest in Europe in building platforms f- to provide remote interpreting, mainly consecutive, mainly for short interactions, um, in particular because Europe is facing uh, a large number of immigrants and These are people that need to have services, they need to be able to communicate um, for for so many reasons. I mean, it it really becomes, in a lot of cases, uh, an issue of of human rights and and making sure that people are safe, Um, you know. And so this is something that these companies are looking at, and they're saying, how do we provide these services? How can we do this when uh, you have someone in either Hungary or, let's say, Bulgaria, and there is a, a refugee or an immigrant who has come, who knows, all the way from India and may only speak Hindi. Uh, yeah. How do you find someone who is going to be able to work between Hungarian or B- Bulgarian and Hindi on a short yeah. notice on the border? Well, that's a Very clear often you case. Don't.
0: That's the problem. Yeah,
1: exactly. But if you can start to pool those resources and have them available and be able to make them available remotely, you can begin to address those needs that are uh, acute. They don't come up Mm -hmm. all that often. I mean, that's a very strange combination or one that you wouldn't see all that often. There are others Mm -hmm. that happen with much greater frequency. But being able to provide that service in a uh, quick way that makes it possible for the government representatives or or whomever needs to speak with these people, make that available, that is something that is, is needed not only in Europe not only in the United States, but growingly in other parts of the world as well. So Absolutely. we've been talking about a lot of that. So Interpret America really is its a, an entity that allows us to explore, to organize these conferences, and this is where technology really emerged. During our second conference in 2011, we realized that there was a coming wave, of technological innovation that was going to, was already revolutionizing telecommunications in the form of, of smartphones and um, all of the, the communication that we can have today, but that really the multilingual aspect was not being addressed but mm-hmm. we knew that it was going to grow. And so we started in 2011 to focus quite a bit on technology. And our message was always change is coming, change is coming. And this year, I feel very secure in saying that change is here and it's here to yeah. stay. And it's going to continue to, in in many ways, revolutionize uh, the way that we work. It's not Absolutely, going to change yeah, completely, but it, there, there are significant revolutions underway.
0: Yeah, that's, I, I, re- I read um, uh, the, the, the blog post by, um, by Andy Clifford about um, the summit, and that's exactly what he mentioned, from the, the changing perception from the change is coming to the change is actually happening right now, and what can we do about it?
1: Yeah. And one of the interesting things, you know, I'll, I'll just mention this um, because I think it's quite relevant. You have a number of professional associations and they often pull their membership and they ask them, are you doing X or are you doing Y? Or what do you yeah. think about the these practices? Um, and those are very interesting studies. They're helpful and I think they're important. But we're polling people who have been very accustomed to work in certain ways and tend to prefer those ways of working. You know, whether it's working in a booth at a conference center or whether yeah. it's working face to face at a hospital, that's what they know. But at the same mm-hmm. time, we're watching how very large companies are continuing to expand and are providing new kinds of services. Um, Video remote interpreting is one example. It is as simple as downloading an app and Mm -hmm. providing payment information, and you have instantaneous access to interpretation. This is consecutive. It's not high-level conference simultaneous by any means. These are credentialed interpreters who may have a medical certification or a a legal certification and you literally press a button on your tablet screen and depending on what the language is and the time of day, you can have within 15 seconds uh, an interpreter ready to go to work and provide that for you through uh, an iPad or some other kind of tablet. And these interpreters that are working either from home or in call centers in different parts, in different countries, they are very accustomed to working in this fashion. And this is something that just continues to grow and in some cases mushroom outside of the realm of many of the professional associations. And so you have more interpreters starting to work. And they don't know necessarily about the professional associations. And I think that's an area where uh, professional associations need to perform outreach. They need to try to expand rather than, than contract or or
0: build walls. Absolutely, absolutely. So the this year's Interpret America Summit just uh... – happened last week or two weeks ago, I think. Two weeks ago. Um, two weeks ago, that's it. Um, apart from the fact that change is now here, what, what's your main takeaway or let's say your most interest, the most interesting thing that you learned at that summit?
1: Um, I think the main takeaway, and this is something that ended up being one of those cross-cutting issues that... Uh, A number of people came to talk about, but they hadn't coordinated beforehand. And so it made this message all the more resonant with those who were in attendance. And Mm -hmm. that is that our job is not threatened as interpreters. The way we work will change and adapt. Um, The Mm -hmm. old ways of working are not going to disappear. But the way that you will differentiate yourself as an interpreter in the future or even now is going to be how you are able to project your humanity. The fact that you are human and that you are providing a service that is creative and one that computers are not anywhere close to being able to do in spite of all of those headlines that we see all the time on all these tech websites or in the mainstream yeah. media because Microsoft rolled out this or Google upgraded that. If you talk to the engineers that are building these systems, they'll be the first people to, to recognize that they're nowhere close. Yeah. Especially when you're dealing with the, the highly complex and changing, uh, thing that language and, and human communication is. And so the message is as interpreters, you have to make sure that you can show your humanity, uh, that you can project it remotely if you have to, or that your expertise and your human knowledge and your your quality, your warmth is something that is going to be able to come across in your voice and in the way that you engage with your clients. That is what will make you uh, stand out and be attractive as a as an interpreting service provider, and that that was a a big aha moment I think for everyone who was there because for many years we've been saying oh technology is going to do this it's going to it's going to upend interpreting oh disruptive Mm -hmm. change is here and 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 frankly. There is some disruptive change, but at the end of the day, if we adapt, we're going to be in a great position because there's only more and more work coming. Um, one other thing that came out of the summit was um, there have been a couple of, of reports and uh, one from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, another one that came out from by Career Career Builder a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, and that the language services industry is the one that is is growing it's one of the fastest growing, or I think in the case of the career builder uh, survey it's the fastest growing over the next five or six years something like that wow. um, somewhere between thirty five and forty eight percent is how it's going to grow so um, of course those numbers are macro and we know that when we dig down a little bit deeper, it's okay, what kind of interpreting, um, you know, right. how much work is there gonna be, all of those things. But the fact is that it, it is really growing. And if you can adapt and you can offer your services in new ways, it's going to give you, you know, a, a more diverse um, client list, which mm-hmm. is a wonderful thing. Uh, we all know the risk that comes with putting all your eggs in one basket. Even though that basket may have been very lucrative and and very stable for many, many years, um, mm-hmm. things can change quickly. So being able to diversify in that way, I think, is is another very positive thing. So that would be I think one of the second or the third. I'm not sure if we include the one that you mentioned that, that Andrew Clifford <laughs> mentioned in his blog. I think I that puts it at, at a good three. Um, if I can mention one more. Um, sure. Go ahead. I had a chance to teach a, um, we did some boot camps on Saturday afternoon. Um, some of them had to do with your online strategy. We brought in a, um, a, a, um, a, online marketing expert and social media expert that had done a lot of work with Google and consults with a number of companies in Silicon Valley. And she talked with people about how they can build their online presence and persona. Um, Man, now that you're getting me talking, I'm just thinking of all these amazing things that came (laughs) up during the conference. Um, Another one that came out if you um, have seen a study by Common Sense Advisory about the uh, interpreting market. They did some uh-huh. research and published it in January of this year where they mentioned um, – they they surveyed only end users, not providers, not interpreters. It was only end users. And they mm-hmm. asked end users what were their top um, ways of finding interpreter talent. Mm-hmm. Number one was word of mouth and, you know, which, you know, as long as you're in those circles, that's great. The second was web searches. The third Mm -hmm. was going to professional association directories. Now, if you think about that for a moment, if you think about the explosive growth and the languages and everything else that's needed, Word of mouth is not going to be able to cover that growth. Now, the second thing Mm. is people are going online and going into a search engine and typing in interpreter whatever language. So Mm. if you don't have a presence on the web as an interpreter, if you're working as a freelancer, well, you are not going to have much opportunity to be able to get those jobs.
0: Um, yeah.
1: And so that was one of the things we were focusing on as well, some other career things. Um, but I was able to teach this, this class about test driving existing interpreting platforms, remote interpreting platforms. We looked at four different technologies. We looked at yeah. one for VRI where interpreters and people in the room, and it was, I'm very happy to say, it was packed, um, were able to see a VRI. Interaction and we called a VRI interpreter. This was a trilingual interpreter, fluent in English, Spanish, and American Sign Language. Mm-hmm. And um, the company was very kind to put her at our disposal and let us ask her any questions we wanted. You know, what's it like? Don't you feel isolated working from home? You know, all of these questions. And she was very frank about a lot of things. Talked about self-care and about why she made the switch from working on site to working remotely. And so it was really interesting just to see conference interpreters, medical interpreters, and, you know, interpreters of, you know, all different stripes being able to ask these questions because everybody's curious, but you don't really get a chance to, ask some of those questions and do it through the platform that they're actually using to provide their job, ju- their, their services. So that was cool. We also looked at a new technology called a KUBI, which is oh, a yeah. uh, little robot um, uh-huh. that you can put a tablet computer on and use it basically as a, as a uh, telepresence unit. And it allows uh, the person remotely to actually control the pan and the tilt of the, um, the iPad or the whatever you know tablet you're using for, for telepresence. And so if you think about an interpreter being able to use this, if there's one in, in an examination room in a doctor's office or in a lawyer's office where he's uh, meeting with a client, needs interpretation mm-hmm. services, the interpreter can control that remotely. And so if they need to turn to see another interlocutor, they can do that. They can actually position, uh, you know, and set preset positions so that they can look at, you know, four people in the room and just hit a button to move to one. And so it's it's actually a really interesting technology. It adds a little bit more on the interpreter remote interpreter's plate, but um, it's it's a really interesting technology. I think with a lot of potential for those that are working in VRI. So we looked at yeah. that, and then we looked at ZipDX. I was able to show people how that worked give them a chance to actually work um, in a remote interpreting booth. We actually set up a computer in a a regular interpreting booth and gave people a chance to sit up, put the headphones on and interpret remotely and Mm -hmm. um, we did that and they were pretty amazed with what we could do. (laughs) And then we were able to look at one other technology, a new one out of Europe called VoiceBoxer that provides remote interpreting services as well. And we did the same thing again. We used the very same computer. It was only a question of opening up a a different browser window. And the interpreter was able to interpret. In this case, it was from Italian to English. And we had a remote presentation from someone from that company. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are working like this now. Uh, and doing it on a you know daily weekly basis so being able to show that technology to people was was just fantastic because they now have seen it it's not it's not the boogeyman in the closet that everybody's talking about but nobody ever sees it was yeah. a chance for them to see it experience it get their hands on it and say oh okay i get this this isn't anything intimidating wow the the console that is on the computer screen it's simple. The buttons are easy to understand and I can turn on interpreting on and off just like if I were in the booth. So yeah. doing that was a lot of fun as well. So as you can see, I'm pretty excited about all of this. But uh, uh those are some of the things that we we took away from from Interpret America Five.
0: That sounds like, like a great event, yeah. Really would have liked to to have been there, especially in Monterey. I really love Monterey. Um yeah, but but thanks, Barry. This has been a great conversation. Uh, thank you for uh, having taken the time uh, for this and uh, sharing your story and sharing your uh, experience with Interpret America and the summit.
1: Alex, it has been my pleasure, and I'm just grateful that you've given me some time to chat about it because it's, it's something that I'm very passionate about. I love communication. I love interpreting. Um, I've been at this job for, heavens, over 20 years, and I still find it fascinating. And being able to provide communication, help people understand one another is there's just something immensely gratifying in that. And I want us to be able to do that now in this information age where technology is is making human communication much easier than ever before. So happy to do that. And I've extended an invitation, whenever you have a chance to come to Monterey, you know you're more than welcome. And uh, thank you. Hopefully, the weather will cooperate, and it will be nice and sunny. <laughs>
0: well, I, I guess it, it cannot be worse than it is in Brussels right now because there's pouring rain outside. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but again, thank you, Barry. This this has been fun and very inspiring. And uh, thank you for um, making the ZipDX platform available for this conversation. Thanks. Uh, it's been my pleasure.